MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. All right, here we go. Pac-12 fans, this one's for you. Put your hands up, man! This is the Pac-12 Apostles. Keeping it real. And only the truth lives here. Pac-12 Apostles. Nick Rolovich is gone. He is no longer the head coach at Washington State. Did he get fired or did he fire himself? And of course, we have to recap week seven in the Pac-12 and in college football. At this point, I am starting to feel sorry for Jed Fish. The Pac-12 keeps cannibalizing itself, thinking that, uh, yeah, parody is great. No, it's not. It's terrible. And of course, our week eight preview. I'm George Reister, he's Ralph Amsden, and this is the Pac-12 Apostles. The Pac-12 Apostles is the podcast by Pac-12 fans, for for Pac-12 fans, and people that love college football especially, and who want the truth, no sugarcoating, going to keep it 100 and realistic at all times. Um, You guys can shoot us an email, I'm at I-M-M-A-D at unafraidshow.com. And of course you can text us 818-293-7547 if you have anything to say. And make sure that you leave a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts and tell a friend about the show. All right, Ralph, I guess we have to start with the fact that Nick Rolovich was dismissed, fired as the head coach at Washington State because he did not want to comply with the state's uh, vaccine mandate. We knew this was going to happen. He did not get his exemption. He lost other coaches, including um, including co-offensive coordinator Craig Stuntsman, Ricky Logo, 
Mark Weber and John Richardson and then members of the staff as well. So what was your thought on this? Well, I mean, you told us this was going to happen, right? Yeah. And I, uh, if for, for anybody who's wondering about the background noise, I'm, <laughs> I'm recording from the Denver International Airport where I have a nice seven-hour layover. So uh, I'm here paying tribute to the Colorado Buffaloes uh, in their shutout win. And, um, you know, maybe Nick Rolovich is somewhere in an airport right now. Who knows? <laughs> but I think that um, – the interesting thing about Nick Rolovich's dismissal is he came over from Hawaii. He could easily still be the head coach at Hawaii where they're not even allowing fans, where the restrictions are even even tougher than you know what they have going on at Washington State. You painted this as an inevitability from the very beginning, um, and and it, that's what it ended up being. Yep. It, dude, it was clear. It was clear what was going to happen. They were not playing around on this, dude. This was a big deal. And to me, a lot of this came down to money, right? That this was a money issue. Last year, Washington State missed three games because of COVID outbreaks. You can't have that happen this year because the conferences and the commissioners have already said that they are not rescheduling games. You're going to have to forfeit. That means lost television revenue, lost money for the university, tickets, parking, concessions, uniform, uh, um, uh, gear, merchandising, all of that gone for that game and maybe another game as well. And then you have to consider that Washington State is a R1 research facility. They have a medical facility. They have already asked the players to be vaccinated and all of their student body. And now the state has stepped in. There are state troopers that got fired yesterday. All these people. And I guess there was some kind of way that they thought that the head coach was going to stay on. But the team clearly knew that it was going to be his last game. They gave him a Gatorade bath after, uh, after you know, a regular season win. And it wasn't over Washington. So, yeah. Hey, that you, you knew this team. was coming. It was over the team that beat number three, Oregon. Come on now. They're just showing respect to David Shaw, weren't they? Hey, well, I guess, dude. But Rolovich is the second coach who got fired after a game against Stanford. So uh, David David Shaw is the coach killer. So I I don't know how I feel about this because I'm, I'm not super um, – for mandates. I know you're not either, but you've talked a lot about how it doesn't matter what you're for and what you're not for, that ultimately this part of it was inevitable, especially with FDA clearance of the vaccines. Um, I'm frustrated with Nick Rolovich. I think, you, you know, you're saying that he quit on the team. Yeah, he quit on his team. He decided that he wanted to be a martyr instead of like these kids who believed in him. And these are kids that since January 2018 have had two teammates die, been in the middle of a pandemic. They have had um, just all of this sorts of disruption in their life since January of 2018. And now we're dealing with, with this. Oh, and then this is going to be their third new head coach. I, I it's frustrating, bro. It is frustrating. And I know that these kids are exhausted and tired.
because this is not what they signed up for. They needed a leader who was going to be there for them. And truth be told, Nick Rolovich is essentially making a decision not to coach. Because I talked to multiple coaches about this over the last couple months, and they're all like, they're not playing. They're going to fire him. There, There is no way around this. If you want to coach, you will be vaccinated, period. Every single NFL player, I'm sorry, coaches, the Vikings fired their co-offensive coordinator and offensive line coach. Fired him. Long-time coach known in the NFL. Fired him. New England fired a coach. And you think that you that you were just going to be the exception? Nah, fam. Nah. And, but m- most importantly, Ralph pointed out, he hadn't even told us why. Why? Right. So, you you know, you point out that he quit on his team uh, by not getting vaccinated, ultimately leading to his firing, leading his st- staff astray, a bunch of them getting dismissed as well. Um, it, and I think that's a really good point. I think that, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are probably applauding Nick Rolovich for standing by his convictions. But we don't know what those are because he never told us. He never articulated it. it. It's one thing if we're if somebody wants to applaud Nick Rolovich for standing strong and being anti-mandate in general. But what if he thinks Bill Gates was going to shrink himself down into the serum like an episode of Magic School Bus and take over control of Washington State's play calling? Are we going to applaud Nick Rolovich for standing up for something that doesn't make sense? So we we don't even know. And I think one of the ways that I feel like he quit on his team is if he honestly believes that the vaccine has the ability to be harmful and that's why he won't put it in his bodies or in his body, why didn't he why did he let his players take it? Why did he encourage them to do so if it really means that much to him? At the end of the day, it, it, because we don't have any information, it feels really dirty. It almost feels like he didn't want to coach anymore. He just wanted to see if he could get wrapped up in a big lawsuit buyout with Washington State. And that's that's not a leader of men. No, not it, not at all. And Ralph, you brought up a good point when we were talking. You said, well, well, um, that people had said to you, well, what if this was about his, he, that he didn't do it for, for health reasons, if his primary care physician or the, his doctor told him not to do it, that there is no possible way that that's the answer. No possible way. And do you know why? Logic tells you when the Washington state, they allow for exemptions for two reasons. Number one, a religious exemption and number two, a medical exemption. And the medical exemption is much, much easier to prove if you have a heart condition, if you have any underlying condition that could put you at risk for getting the vaccine, which there are some. Guess what? Nick Rolovich did not apply for that. He applied for a religious exemption. And he, because he said he went to Catholic school, all of this. He is but then a the long time Catholic, played at a Catholic high school, high school football back in the day. I think San Marin, like he's, it, it, he can, he can definitely, he definitely has proof that he's, you know, practicing Catholic. Yeah. Um, dude, it, it's, it is gross, dude. It is it's gross. This was mismanagement. This was a bad part. And Pat Chun, their athletic director, he actually got on and he has some interesting comments. He essentially said, I take responsibility. This is my fault. We, we did background checks on them, all of this stuff. And 
We thought he was the guy to lead our team, and I hired the wrong guy. So the question is, did he hire the wrong guy, or did circumstances beyond his control impact that hire? Right. I, I, I'm i not into the whole like guilt trip of saying you hired the wrong guy when you, did, you couldn't account for any of this occurring in the first place. A background check's not going to turn out somebody's attitude on a situation that doesn't even exist yet. Right. Like if aliens visited and all of a sudden um, admitting that aliens exist became a uh, requirement of coaching and Kyle Whittingham didn't want to admit that aliens exist, it would be weird for the university president to be like, we ran a background check back in the day when we hired him. We, we thought we had the right guy. Like the, one thing has nothing to do with the other circumstances change. He wasn't out there illegally recruiting. wasn't he? he He's a good coach. He was doing a really good job. So I don't uh, – the whole thing is just kind of feels gross to me. But the, the idea of like – you know, you said that it was um, – you said that it showed leadership and ownership, but it didn't really have anything to do with them. This is all 100% on Rolovich for deciding that the vaccine's not right for him, not giving a reason why, and then convincing his staff members that that was the right way to go. Yep. And the players bought into what what he was saying. They the uh, players and I wonder because he had four other coaches get fired, too, and some staff members. Do you believe had he been initially in with it and been like, okay, yeah, cool. Hey, coaches, I want you guys to get vaccinated. I'm getting it that we would not have run into this problem with anybody on his staff. Maybe not anybody on his staff. Maybe you have one or two guys that's super passionate about it. But no, he if if he had led the way, then other people would fall in line. That's just how the world works. Yep. And I don't know. Are you mad at him? I just because I want to say like part of me wants to respect the idea that he felt so strongly about something that he leaves ten million dollars on the table. But again, I can't respect him if he if the reason was he thinks the vaccine is a mix of ketchup and mustard. You know, we, we're not we don't know anything. And, and from a lot of sources inside the program, it was just a matter of he didn't want to. And he was trying to call their bluff, but it was never a bluff. And, and that's what makes me question his judgment is you could see from a million miles away. This was not a bluff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I he. Like he knew that this was going that that this was going to happen, and he didn't care how many people that it impacted. He didn't care. Well, remember he didn't last care year that it was no go. Remember last year when he was basically encouraging his players not to do anything that would separate them from the team by yep. not by not joining. Oh, the, what he did to Cassidy Woods, right? If so, if if you're not all in with this team, then you're out of here. Well. You're clearly not all in with the with the team, right, pal? Clearly. Right. And 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 I don't want this to be mistaken. I haven't changed my mind. I want people to make the decision to get vaccinated because it's the thing that makes the most sense and does the most public good. I don't like it being mandated because I think that that gives anti-authoritarian people incentive to push back, but then again, studies show that once you mandate it, you actually do catch a lot more people up in the net um, 
you know, and I, I do understand that. It just doesn't, I'm, I'm still not for it because I understand the motivation of people who are just counter intuitive and push back and habitual line steppers. Like if you tell somebody that they have to do something, especially coaches, a lot of coaches get into this business because they can't work for anybody else. Right. And so you tell a coach that he has to do something, he's probably going to try to buck back against it. And, and, you know, I, I, I just, like I said, I hate that we've gotten to this point. You articulated it perfectly. There are no winners here. Washington State football is worse off for not having him be their head coach. Yep. Yep. And now, and now the program is going to be in disarray. They got to figure out who the next head coach is going to be and all of that. And we will break that down at a later date. But we did have some some games this week, and they started on Friday. And I wanted to talk about Oregon because Oregon played Cal on Friday night. And actually, even before we get into, into that as well, how would you judge, Ralph, this Pac-12 weekend where we saw Oregon barely beat Cal, only by a touchdown. UCLA, in I think what was probably the most important game of the Pac-12 season uh, for for both of these programs with UCLA and Washington. We had which which obviously made the Oregon UCLA game relevant, which has game day there now. Um, Arizona State lost to Utah and kind of. I mean, in really bad fashion, especially in the second half, you know, we we had the futility bowl between Arizona and Colorado and then uh, Stanford, Washington State. Like, wh- how would you overall judge the Pac-12's weekend? I would say that the, the Pac-12 did us all a favor by officially – killing any dream of a college football playoff appearance like that's dead if if Oregon can't cover against any of these teams if they're playing with fire against one and four Cal like they're not going to a playoff and then in order for them to even get there Arizona State probably would have had to win out to give them that boost in the Pac-12 championship and Arizona State can't play on the road and they have no discipline so you know I, I think I thank the Pac-12 for not making us have to sweat it out <laughs> for the next six weeks on will they or won't they? Cause now we know that they definitely won't. And then the one thing I think that happened this week that was kind of important for the conference is we are severely lacking in star power. There's some big names in the conference, but not everybody's performing up to par. And I feel like cam rising came out and he had a performance against Arizona state one week after his performance against USC that kind of lets the conference know, like, no, we actually do have somebody to look forward to, uh, to get excited about watching him play. I think, I think the biggest rising star in the conference right now is Cam Rising. Yeah, and the crazy part is, is re- remember we asked a question a couple of weeks ago: if you had one game to win in the conference, which quarterback would you would you choose? And we went from Jaden Jaden Daniels. I said. Uh, uh, the uh, kid from uh, from Oregon State, and then, um, but I'm coming back to if I had one game to win in the Pac-12, I needed one win. 
I'd probably go with Anthony Brown. And I don't even want him to be my quarterback anymore, <laughs> not necessarily. But I mean, I think that he should still still start for for reasons that I that I'll articulate in a few minutes. But if I had to win one game in the in the Pac-12, I would absolutely take Anthony Brown right right now, Ralph. Who would you take? I think it's probably a toss up between Cam Rising and Jaden Delora. Um, but I think Anthony Brown had a really, really good performance in the fourth quarter against Cal. Very gutsy, very judicious. Um, seems to be understanding what he has to work with a little bit more. Uh, I, I was encouraged by what he he did late in that game. Hmm. Yeah, and I, I like him, dude. I like him. I think that um, I think that he's clutch. I think he's a good player. He's continued. It's continued to. He's continued to get better. And now we will see because they they've lost their co-oc. They've lost a bunch of position coaches. So I don't I don't know, man. I don't even know how this is truly going to work out for them. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up as well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, but at least the the conference still has a college football playoff possibility, right? It absolutely does not. I don't think you listened to a word I said. It, what do you no, mean? Because you asked me what my impression was of the conference this weekend, and I spent four minutes talking about how our playoff hopes are dead. And and I'm telling you, I'm disagreeing with you. I'm <laughs> that George, that the, George yes. Oregon almost couldn't beat Cal. They almost couldn't beat every team they've beat so far. There's not. There's no hope. If you keep almost beating beating everybody, then then and you and you and you almost beat everybody, then. Guess what? You you finish the season twelve and one, and you and if they finish the season twelve and one, they are one hundred percent in the playoff. Would you no, not agree with that? I absolutely do not agree. They will not have the resume. Absolutely not. What are you and talking it, about, Ralph? Ralph? Okay, okay. They'll have You're, one win. They'll have one win to be proud of. Okay, but the but but here's the reality: they are ranked. Cincinnati will have a, if. Even if Cincinnati loses a game, no, Cincinnati if, will have a better resume. How? How? Where? How would Cincinnati have a better that Ralph? That that's insanity. If if so, because, Cincinnati. Hold on. Cincinnati dominance. has what they showed. They've showed dominance in their games, and and they have a big win here. Yes, they won against Notre Dame. Which which team is better, Notre Dame or Ohio State? Ohio State. So if and Cincinnati has left on their schedule, Navy, Tulane, Tulsa, South Florida, SMU and East Carolina. If they lose to any one of those teams, they're done, bro. They're done with the playoff. And let's assume, right? Let's not assuming anything. Hope is no, no, no. This is the no, same no, no. type of this is the same No, no, I'm not I'm not even on. talking about, about the Pac-12. You didn't even let me finish. No, okay, because this is the same type of conspiratorial thinking that got Nick Rolovich fired and I don't want you to get fired from the podcast cuz you won't vaccinate your mind from <laughs> thinking that we're going to have a college football playoff no, appearance. It, I'm I'm not saying that the, the that the way that we've seen Oregon play, I think that they're going to drop another game. But I'm saying if they finish the season 12 and 1, they are 100% going to the playoff. The they are already ranked 10th, right? And you have to consider the fact that that Georgia you you uh let's assume that I mean that Georgia wins out, okay? I mean, can we can we can we make that assumption that they that they have a reasonable possibility of winning out? Yeah, their schedule's junk. They're winning out for sure. Yeah. Okay. So so we'll put Georgia in the playoff, right? Yeah. Can we also assume that Oklahoma will win the Big Twelve with either one loss or no losses? Maybe because o- Oklahoma State. What Oklahoma State did against Texas now means that we have to take them seriously. Okay, so all right, okay, so so can we assume that either Oklahoma or Oklahoma State will win the conference with either one loss or or zero losses? Yeah, probably. Okay, so then that team is going to be in the playoff too. Can can we can we put them in the playoff with yes. with with Georgia? Yeah. Okay. So now, and the Big Ten. You have Ohio State, Michigan, 
Penn State and Michigan State left, right? Right. Every single one of those. So Ohio State has to play all three of those teams. They still have to play Michigan, Michigan State, and Penn State left, okay? Okay. Michigan still has to play Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan State. Michigan State still has to play Michigan, Ohio State, and and Michigan left. So there is no chance that all of those teams are left standing, right? I suppose. I suppose that. But if even one gets in, then that's no, 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 no. I'm going to assume that one of those teams gets in. I'm, I'm sorry. So, so if you're standing at the end of the year, okay, okay, and if you're standing at the end of the year, you have a twelve and one. Oh, uh, a 12 and one Ohio state and a 12 and one Oregon. Who do you put in the playoff? You put Ohio state in because, Oh my God, Ralph, we saw the game. Yeah. But listen to me, listen to me. If, if Ohio state is 12 and one, what they're going to look at right now is the current AP poll that has four big 10 teams ranked above Oregon right now, four of them ranked above Oregon right now. If they survive that gauntlet, no one's going to give a shit that they lost to okay. Oregon in the beginning of the season. They're going to look they at absolutely. Oregon losing to Stanford okay. because the, the comparison is going to be that Oregon lost to Stanford, which who knows if they win another game after their rushing performance at Palouse. And it, it, it's just, it, if Ohio state is the team that's left that one game that should be like a transitive thing, isn't going to come into play because right now, Michigan state's ninth in the country, Penn state's seventh, Michigan is is sixth, and I was eleventh. So they have five teams in the top eleven right now. Well, that what you're what you're saying actually makes it even more reason why we need an expanded playoff. But but okay, so let's say that that you are right that either Ohio State finishes that that they finish at 12 and 1 and win and win the conference and they put them over Oregon, right? Right. Now, the only thing that Oregon needs to happen according to your math is to have Cincinnati lose then, correct? The most important thing for Oregon fans is that Cincinnati loses a game. Yes. Okay. All right. So, that, the, uh, that uh, you want you want Cincinnati to lose a game and you want Oklahoma and Oklahoma State to just collapse. Those two things happen. You don't need those two things to, to to happen, but okay. All right. Well, because you might end up with two Big Ten teams for the very first time. No, they're that's and, not that's that's not gonna happen because neither one of those so for so for two Big Ten teams to finish, right? You would have to have either Michigan's only loss be to Ohio State, right? Right, which would keep them out of the Big Ten championship, right? Yes, so they probably wouldn't get in. Yeah, but 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 that that's the thing is that Michigan State, Penn State, or that they're all on the same side of the Big Ten, so none of them can get in. They're going to be playing Iowa in the championship, probably. All right, so then another thing that you have to factor in and worry about is what if Alabama wins out? If Alabama wins out, that will include the SEC championship, and if that's Georgia's only loss, then they're going to take Georgia. So Correct. then you have two SEC teams. Correct. So, yeah, no, no, this no. Oregon no. dropped one spot after beating Cal. 
that's that's the opposite direction they need to be going in. And and the and the funny part is, and the funny part is is this the interesting part and the funny part is is that Michigan State barely they scraped by Indiana. <laughs> I was like they they moved Michigan State in front of them. Oh well, actually they actually didn't. Yeah, they moved Michigan State in front, and no, but it, but it was actually they moved. Uh, yeah, yeah, they moved Michigan State in front, and Oklahoma State jumped too. And I was like, how does that make sense? But at this okay. point, at this point, the best thing that I'm hoping for is a is a twelve and one Oregon and an eleven and one Michigan in the Rose Bowl. And we could just, in our own minds, factor it in as the primary reason why the playoffs should be expanded. Okay, because I right. just, I, I don't, I don't see a path, dude. If it happens, I, I don't care. You want me to shave my head? I'll shave my head. Eat my hat? I'll eat my hat. But I'm telling you, I'm not going to waste any more time trying to figure out the path because the door is closed. I'm, I'm cutting my losses and saying, all right, let's just focus on which, how many of these teams can we get bowl eligible is the most important thing to me right now. Mm, 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 mm. Ye of little faith. Um, all right. Now on to the game. So we'll start with that Oregon Friday night game against Cal. And this was a game that saw Oregon fans booing, which I hated, dude. It it, it was cringy. They were booing. Anthony Brown had his probably best best game completing the foot football he was 20 for 28 one touchdown no um uh oh oh he did have a turnover so he only had his second turnover of the whole season he fumbled the ball right right before halftime like the the play right before the end of halftime didn't cost him any points uh because it was the play right before halftime and I just thought that and the and mind you, he was very frustrating because he does miss open wide receivers at times because he doesn't like to throw into tight windows. But the frustrating part was it was third and 13 on one play. And as soon as the ball was snapped, he threw like a four yard hitch. He didn't even wait to see what developed. I'm like, why? I don't. And it was fourth and six and he throws a three yard route. I. And it wasn't like a guy was like wide open and had room to run. No, he got tackled at three yards. And that's increasingly frustrating. And fans want Ty Thompson to play. And people are concerned about this Oregon team. But I don't think that, Ralph, people fully understand the impact that offense has on defense. The defense held Cal to – it was – 10 to 7 at halftime. 10 to 7. Oregon had the opportunity to score two more times in in that game. And and one of them instead of kicking a field goal cuz they had a couple penalties, they should have been up 24 to 7 at halftime. And if you're up 24 to 7, that forces the def, the op, the opposing offense in Cal to sit back and throw the ball 40 50 times a game. Which, if you do that, you're going to come away with some turnovers because that's not the optimal way that they want to play football. That puts them not in a comfort zone. If you try that with oh, Ohio State, they're going to be fine. You try that with like an air raid offense, that they're only going to throw it anyway. 
But when you force a team that wants to play like that into doing that, that helps the defense out. And Kayvon Thibodeau was an absolute savage in this game. He only yep. played the second half, but it, it, he played a whole half. He played a whole game in one half with the way he destroyed Cal. And I didn't like the outcome, but there wasn't a point in the game where I was nervous that Oregon was not going to win. If that makes sense. Were you uh, gritting your teeth on the 18 yard or 18 play drive to end the game? <laughs> Bro, yes. So it was Friday night. I was doing my show on on Mad Dog, right? While this is going on, and how I how I got through the damn show while I'm like cringing every single play of that drive. I have no idea how, how I got through it. And I'm and I'm just thankful that I didn't get fired or or caused myself an HR issue for anything I said on the air while I was watching it. That's that lifetime of Y chromosome compartmentalization. <laughs> <laughs> you you put you put the natural male gift of 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 storing things away and burying your feelings to the test. I watched uh, – I so I was at a high school football game in Arizona. I ended up watching the entire fourth quarter at a restaurant, and I could not believe that how long that drive went on and how disciplined Oregon was defensively. And some of the plays Chase Garber's making, like that toss. Uh, oh, my for, God. Oh, Dude, what they conversion. had him in their grasp. Yeah. But Kayvon Thibodeau, like, KOing an offensive lineman by – by just like running into his head with his upper body. I've never seen that. Not once in my life have I ever seen a defensive lineman. I've seen him power through. I've seen him do everything. I've seen every move in the book. I've never seen somebody just hit somebody in the helmet and drop them to get to the quarterback. He is, he is the, to me, he's the number one pick. And I, I, I don't know if he, is on the level of a Chase Young. Chase Young's one of the best defensive linemen, I'm most NFL ready. That maybe not the best, but the most NFL ready defensive lineman I've ever seen in my life. But he, if 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 he's not even with him, it's one A, one B. Like he is, he is something else, man. And and I, they don't, I don't know if they win that game without the second half that he had. Oh, dude, I totally agree with that. Totally, so we're gonna. Totally. Well, you you did text me. No more Travis Die hate. <laughs> I don't hate Travis Die, but I was just using the the words <laughs> that uh, that that you use. Were you surprised that Byron Cardwell? You know, this is like, oh, this is the week we're gonna unleash him. This is the least carries he's had in any game he's appeared in so far. I was surprised. I was. I thought he would get a few more carries. But I'm not sure if they're concerned about his pass protection or what it is because Travis Dye and CJ Verdell have been sharing carries for yeah. a couple seasons. So I thought that they would spell him a little bit. And I think that that's going to be the optimal scenario going forward. I think we will see more of him because he's not a big dude. And if you're trying to run him 25 times a game, I don't think that that's going to be good for his long term health. But the good news is, the good news is, though, is that, I mean, because this dude had 19 carries and seven catches for 73 yards. Um, but at least 
we got to the 20 completion mark, multiple wide receivers caught balls. This is the way that in that aspect of it, that Oregon wants to play because, and I think that 23 completions is the number that you want to be at or around every single game, which will keep your wide receivers happy. Have you ever seen a team run 79 plays and only score 17 points? Because holy cow, I don't know. I, I, I don't even know. At this point, I don't even know how to describe what's wrong with Cal. So can we say, though, that the, that means that the Oregon defense did a good job then because they stopped them on fourth down multiple times? Twice, yeah. They had the two fourth down stops. Yeah, no, I, I think it's completely – they don't really create turnovers or anything, and I, I have a million different criticisms of Oregon in this game, including why fifth-year sophomore Devin Williams isn't good yet. <laughs> <laughs> he is good. For- Every time you throw him the ball, he does he does some something good. You just need to throw him the ball more. Yeah, he's got well, he's got eight whole catches this year. So hey man. <laughs> but this is they're they are really good eight catches though. Fourth so, season in college football, and I just want I'd like to see more from him. Well, you gotta yep. give him opportunities though, and they're not they're not doing that. So what do you think about this Cal team? I mean, they're one in five. It's a wasted right- se- it's a it's it's a wasted season. It reminds me very much of Rudy Carpenter's senior year at Arizona State, where there was a lot of promise. You know, they went to they played Texas in that bowl game his junior year, and then all of a sudden you, you had a a dip in that talent up front, and then you know, and and with this Cal team, you you had their what starting center medically retire, and then you also had Brett Johnson get hit by a car and have to miss the whole season. So you take the anchor out of their O line and their D line. And then they just had a couple of coaching mistakes and, and the lack of a dedication to the run game, in my opinion, that cost them early on. And now they just kind of look dejected. They're giving it their best shot and coming up on the on on the rough end every single week. Yep, absolutely. Um, now on to the next game of the day where, well, actually, that was the only game on Friday, which I hate Friday games. We don't have to go over that again, but I hate Friday games. Um, the first game up that we had on Saturday was the Futility Bowl between Arizona and Colorado. And Colorado won 34 to 0. I mean, Brendan, th- this was Brendan Lewis's what first game, or I-, I think he went for over 100 yards their first game of the season where he threw for 102. And then he went four straight games without throwing for over 100 yards. And then came out this game 20, 12 for 19 for 248, which included like a 50 yarder dropped in the end zone that was wide open. And on the Arizona side, Gunner Cruz, who started the game, he's out for the season with a thumb injury. They brought in Will Plummer. At this point in time, Ralph, I'm starting to feel bad for, for, for Jed Fish. He's doing everything that he possibly can, and he can't. Yeah, I don't you and I you and I actually had a couple of extended conversations about that this weekend. I'm like, should we feel bad for Jed Fish? And I don't I I'm looking at how hard he's taking this season and I I, I wish I would, you know, maybe that's a good thing. The way that he's taking these defeats, maybe it's ultimately a good thing, but he I think he genuinely thought that if he built up the hype around this team, 
and treated them better and invited the media in and built up goodwill and came up with a good game plan, that that would be enough. And I think maybe that's why I feel bad for him because he thought all those things would be enough. And at the end of the day, right? but at the end of the day, the cupboard was bare, especially in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Um, I don't, I don't know what to do about that. I mean, they, they have a lot of guys that they start on the defensive end that shouldn't be playing. Yep. Like they shouldn't be, they shouldn't be playing in the Pac-12. And I like that hurts me to say because you know I don't like to say a negative thing about any of these these football players, but it was something that I said before the season. I thought they'd go two and ten just out of a lack of talent because I never would have assumed that they lost to Northern Arizona <laughs> University. But oh my gosh, man, they cannot run the ball. They 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 have now this is what their fifth quarterback change, either by choice or um, through injury. So, because they started the season with Gunnar Cruz, started Will Plummer, then started Jordan McLeod, and now they started Gunnar Cruz again, and now they're back to Will Plummer. Their backup right now is Luke Ashford, a walk-on from Arcadia High School. Uh, this is it's a bad situation, man. They, they got shut out in this game. And, and what do we say? The easiest money in the history of the world was taking the under 46 and a half. Oh, my God. The, the under and the, and the spread. Yeah. yeah, like they because- had no chance, dude. They had no chance. I mean, I don't, if if I were Jed Fish at this point, I would literally put a running back or a a wide receiver at quarterback and well, just Jamari, run what they. Jamari does. Joiner, Jamari Joiner was a a very good high school quarterback who was being recruited as a quarterback by college teams and switched to wide receiver. He's the most athletic guy they have on that team. He's the one guy that I feel like maybe has some NFL promise, and he's just had to heal from a few foot injuries, unfortunately. But he came in and he threw a touchdown for him earlier this year. And so it it, may, it might be time to move to the most athletic guy uh, that, that you have and get Jamari some reps if Will Plummer – and Will Plummer's an athlete, but he's not he, he's not a quick decision maker with a bunch of experience like McLeod. So I don't know, man. I, I don't – honestly, the rest of the season, I think that they just need to set – attainable goals of like getting people reps and seeing what they have because it's just not it's just it's just a very bad team and i you what you had in this colorado versus arizona team is you had a bad team against an incomplete and young team colorado's not a bad team they're just incomplete like that they they're they're kind of a quarterback away uh and they're very young and so that it was never going to be a contest in my mind. I did not think Arizona would get shut out. They did take it down to the one yard line, and then you know get get stopped on a fourth down. Um, but yeah, six to nothing at halftime. This was this game was as ugly as anybody could have imagined. And then what Colorado did in the third quarter, getting you know a pick six, I think right out of the no, they got the blocked punt yep. for a touchdown, and then the then the pick six back to back. So. Yeah, dude. That was the kill shot right there. I mean, six nothing. No, no, was it enough. was six. It was six nothing. the The game was over at six nothing. <laughs> you, you had me at hello. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing dirty sports scandals. 
Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, then the next game up was, oh, and by the way, Brendan Rice, three catches, 111 yards and a touchdown. All right. Um, well, let's give a shout out to Montana Lamonius Craig, all name Hall of Fame for who? also Montana Lamonius Craig. I did not know that that was that man's whole name. Yeah, he's a good, he's good too. Every from what I remember, everybody in the Pac-12 wanted him, and he took a risk by going to Colorado, and uh, and he's he's he, he finally got on the board. He he made a contribution. <laughs> so so maybe they're moving in the right direction, or maybe maybe they just got to play U of A. Oh wow, you're you're a savage for that, bro. Am I? It's the truth. We're gonna Cal. Cal is a one in five, and they are a nine point favorite at home against Colorado. Like, so I, I, Vegas already agrees that it was probably a fluke. Oh yeah, yeah. This 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 team didn't magically get get better. They're like, oh yeah, we figured everything out. Nah, you didn't, fam. No, you didn't. Um, everything is not figured out. Um, then you had the Stanford-Washington State game, which turned out to be Nick Rolovich's final game. Uh, this Stanford team – well, actually, let's let, let's start with the Washington State. 
Jaden De- Delora is pretty damn good. And they were up, you know, at halftime 20 to 16 and then took a 27 to 16 lead. I thought it was over. And then Stanford took the lead 31-27 and then proceeded to let Washington State drive immediately down. And then Stanford almost came back and won. This was like, I just can't imagine what Stanford is doing because they continue to beat their head against the wall trying to run the football. 35 carries for 76 yards. 2.2 yards a carry. I I don't I don't get it, Ralph. I don't get it. I told you intellectual brutality was completely broken, and I stand by that. You also have to factor in that Tanner McKee had a 17-yard scramble at one point. So if you're if you're taking out the longest run, it looks even worse. Yeah. <laughs> because he finished with 11 attempts for 12 yards, and one of them was for 17. So you know that's that's very bad. Um, I, yeah, I, Stanford without a running game is it, just, it doesn't feel right. It, it completely limits them. They're having to ask Tanner McKee to do way too much. Um, but switching gears to, to Washington State, is this the best Jaden in the conference? I think mm. it might be. If you put Jaden Daniels in the Nick Rolovich no RIP. If you put Jaden Daniels in the Nick Rolovich offense, does he currently match the the numbers that Jaden Delora has? Fifteen touchdowns, five interceptions. Ah, uh, maybe, maybe. I mean, because he's got to throw the ball a lot more. So that's. I, I think that that would either expose him as a passer or bring the hype train back. Yeah, he technically didn't have a very good completion percentage in this game. Only 57% of his passes were complete. This is, you know, a 110-yard dip on what he had in yardage. But when it came down to it, he made the throws that counted and, and, and found Calvin Jackson and Travell Harris in the end zone. And I just – I never miss an opportunity to say I told you so. Uh, but Travell Harris not being part of the Pac-12 honors before the season, again, is the dumbest thing about this conference – so far, because he got 44 catches, 465 yards, five touchdowns. He is two catches and like 80 yards away from from topping his um, his career highs at Washington State back in 2019, and he's got five games left at least. Like he's 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 having a really really good year, and, and uh, it would be nice if people started to acknowledge it. And Calvin Jackson's really good as well. Um, I just uh, one thing. Um, you know, Max Borgie and Dion McIntosh, it, it's really imbalanced what they're doing from week to week. But, you know, this week, Borgie got 17 carries, which is far more than he, than, than maybe he's ever had. Um, so it was kind of nice of a change of pace to see him getting the ball, get in the end zone twice, uh, and then continue to be, uh, you know, there as an option in the passing game, even though he didn't really do anything. Uh, in, in this game either. I wonder what is on the horizon for this team because they're extremely talented and they're not going to have a lot of offensive continuity if both the co-OC and Rolovich are gone. So, I mean, I'm really interested to see what happens moving forward as far as play calling and how they use some of the weapons they have on this offense. Yeah. Um, now, 
we mentioned Stanford's rushing numbers. They are well below 100 yards a game. And, and we're not talking about an air raid offense. Like we're, we're, we're talking about an offense that's at like 90 yards rushing per game. 90. 90. Like how does this, how does this work? If you are, if you are Stanford and you're supposed to be, you know, intellectual brutality, intellectual brutality is over, dude. It's broken. It's done. It's toast. That's what would have helped them finish some drives, but they had to kick a field goal from Washington state's 14 with 22 seconds left in the first quarter. How big of it would it have been for them to be up 17 to nothing instead of 13 to nothing? Because Jaden Delora came out and he threw three touchdown passes in the next 12 minutes. He went off and then they had to kick another field goal from the, from the Washington state 13. So they just can, they blew two opportunities to, to build a lead. And then they put themselves in a position where they needed a, um, you know, Washington state came down, um, got that max Borgie touchdown. And then they had to come back and, and, and try to win the game or get a field goal. And they weren't able to, like, it's just, they're, they have no dimensions to their to their offense, and it's I don't know. It's it's genuinely depressing because they, you know, they they still what was their over under for total wins on the season? You know they they were um, they they could probably I don't know. I can't. Maybe this Washington State game is the only one that they could have won that they didn't. Yeah. Um, but you know, uh, maybe that UCLA game. But I, I don't know. It's just you look at their upcoming schedule, and unless they can go three and two, they're not going to go bowling. And yeah, and it, obviously, I think that we have to say that it, that it's reasonable that they could be beat Washington, right? Yeah. And reasonable that they could beat Cal. So what is, th- that'll be, and it's reasonable that they could beat what Oregon State. I don't think they'll beat Utah, and then I don't think that they will. I, and I think that they actually could upset Notre Dame only because Notre Dame's offense is not particularly great either. Have you seen all these people trying to link David Shaw's name to the Raiders job? If you were David Shaw, would you pursue that? Mm. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, it just depends on like if if I'm tired of of dealing with this NFL stuff, then maybe. I'm sorry, this this college stuff, if I don't want to deal with school, all of that, and if my wife is cool with moving to, to Las, Las Vegas, our kids are in a good place, then yeah, I might try it out. I mean, well, what's the worst that that could have? I mean, but, uh, I mean, it, it's not going to be a big pay increase for him. Well, they're the only team that, they're the only team that could probably give him a pay increase. Yeah, there's nobody else. I mean, he he's making like nine million dollars a year. He's right. he's he's making SEC money in um in the Pac-12. All right, uh, the next game up we had. Oh, you. Uh, I'm sorry, Well, in in order, UCLA at Washington, and Washington fans are incensed right now, dude. 
They want Dylan Morris replaced. Like, they're with the same fervor that Oregon fans are with Anthony Brown. Oh, but, okay, but I forgot to tell you guys about about the Anthony Brown situation because many of you may have seen me tweet saying that Ty Thompson should be put in. I have found out that Ty Thompson is physically ready, physically ready to be a starter in college football and physically the best on Oregon's roster. However, as far as mentally and emotionally right now, they don't think he's ready. And that if he doesn't have success, that they're that they're afraid that he will go in the tank and it may ruin his entire career. I don't know. I mean, I wish Ralph had told me this prior to the uh, season or before I said that he should. Bro, you, are you shitting me right now? Did I not repeat this a thousand times? No, I, I don't think you told me that, right? I said he's got the body of Deshaun Kaiser, but he didn't play at the highest level. He needs that adjustment period. I said it over and over and over again. You're driving me nuts because I just I was like, what did you just find out? What could it be? And then you're just repeating stuff I said for the first three weeks of this year's podcast. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Bro, he is physically, he's a monster. It's what gave him five-star status. He definitely can throw. He could do all that. But, like, this is – he played at the third level down of Arizona high school football. It was pretty – I think he went up against – in the championship his junior year, one defensive back that was a D1 athlete went to Minnesota. But other than that, just not a – there weren't a lot of opportunities for him to play against that level talent. I know that he did good at Elite 11, and he's good in 7-on-7 seven seven and stuff like that. But it's just it that could be tough. Then again, that's the same reason I gave that Keaton Slovis probably shouldn't have been the guy as a freshman, and his best year was arguably his his freshman year. So you never really know until you know. But if that's what you're hearing, then that is how I felt. <laughs> so no, I'm glad no, it matches that, well, up. Yeah, no, they're they're like, can he do every single thing that we need him to do? Yes, one one hundred percent. But it's the if things don't go well. They're afraid he'll go in the tank. So I still think that they need to get him two or three series a game because then there's no way he goes in the tank. And truth be told, as much as Oregon fans don't want to admit it, Anthony Brown, aside from the Stanford game, which had other factors that ended up with the game in overtime, he's been clutch in the fourth quarter. Granted, we should have had way more points prior to that, but in those moments, he's been pretty good. Now, um, you're not, you, you got Anthony Brown in the Manny Wilkins situation. Not doing anything to outright win the game, but he's he's taking care of the ball. Yeah, and and you and but what you need to level up is you need somebody who can do things, make plays. Big time players make big time plays. That's what you need, and 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 we'll see. We'll see. There's a there's a lot of season left. We'll see if he finds it within himself to uh, to actually you know put a game away so that you can get your backup uh, a series or two. Yep, and. Okay, now Dylan Morris, 20 for 30, a buck 84, one touchdown and two picks against the worst pass defense in the conference and the third worst in the nation. Um, I don't think that's good, Ralph. It's very bad. And I think I think having a tight end centric 
offense like Stanford is kind of rough. And then obviously all the receivers that left had much more of an effect than we um, had predicted. And Terrell Bynum hasn't necessarily stepped up to be that number one wide receiver. Um, and he takes a lot of risks. I think he's leading the Pac-12 in interceptions right now. And he is, uh, I mean, he's, I, I don't, it's weird. I can't say he's struggling. I think he's just doing him. We have now seen him uh, throw 320 passes, complete 60% of his passes, like, and he's got 12 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. I think this is just who he is. I think he'll make some big throws. I think he'll make some bad decisions, but he doesn't have the ability to dink and dunk you down the field. He's like the anti-Anthony Brown. Yep. And then you have to and... deal with the fact that he is smaller and he's not a playmaker. So you got a small quarterback who's not a playmaker and he likes to take risks but doesn't have the personnel to do it. Yep. You know you, you, you know what's crazy is I could, but I could see him uh, playing for Graham Harrell and actually improving a little bit because you know if if let's say that Dylan Morris was the quarterback at USC this year, you know, you have a guy like Drake London that you can just throw it up to. Yeah. Yep. No, that's very, very fair. And but Washington has been struggling to run the ball as well. 31 carries, 83 yards and a touchdown. And their fans are frustrated because Kamari Pleasant, obviously nine carries, 80 yards with a 32 yard long. And it's been frustrating for them because Jimmy Lake wants to run this style of offense because he said that when he was a defensive coordinator, that this was the style of offense that gave him the most trouble. So, but if you can't run it or it's not working, I think you have to stop fit trying to fit a square peg in a round hole and just do something different. That's funny. That reminds me of how the Suns signed JaVale McGee this offseason. And I just like did a happy dance because he won't go for 10 for 10 on DeAndre Ayton anymore. I don't care if he ever plays just as long as we don't have to play against him. You know, it's yeah. that whole thing. It's overvaluing somebody based on what they do to you. What you need to do is you need to tailor an offense around the people that you have in house. It's obvious that he didn't trust the better running backs on his team earlier in the season. Now they're the only ones getting carries. And obviously Sean McGrew had a really bad game against UCLA. Uh, they let him run the ball 18 times with his longest run was five yards. But Kamari Pleasant was able to get some yards, and they still, 30 pass attempts is is too many. 30 pass attempts is too many. They only ran the ball 27 times, and it, for the most part, Sean McGrew wasn't being able to, you know, wasn't able to get any yards. So, you know, Kamari Pleasant had eight for 48 outside of his one long one for, for 32, giving him nine carries for 80 yards. You know, maybe, maybe you go with the thing that's actually working, but Dylan Morris can't give you anything in the run game. And so that's a problem. There's not, there's, they're not like multidimensional as far as um, they can't create deceptive looks. They can't uh, do RPO stuff because there's, there's no threat of it. So if you want to, as a defense, you can just key on the running backs. And, and then if, if you play man coverage on the outside, there's no one for Washington that's proven that they're going to beat you. The thing that you have to worry about is Kate Otten, and he has not um, looked all that great this year. He has not had more than three catches 
in his last three games. And he's been banged up as well. So, you know, I think he has one touchdown on the season, and we were expecting him to to maybe be a guy that was in the double digits on that end. And that's not the case. Yep. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And what what do you think on the UCLA side? Because they ran the ball like we knew that they would. 40 carries, 237, and a touchdown. And Dorian Thompson-Robinson was very efficient, 21 or 26. I didn't even think that UCLA played their best football game like as best as they could because they did yeah. have a number of penalties. And what did they have? They had – actually, no, they only had six penalties for 60 yards, and one of them was a bogus pass interference penalty. Like I, I just thought that UCLA could have played a little bit better. because, But Washington does a good job of limiting big plays. They haven't given up 30 points in like 50 years or something. I mean, it's been a long time, but not not that long. But part of that is they sacrifice their ability to stop the run, too, by playing two high safeties so often. 
And that has put them in trouble with people, with teams running the football like you knew UCLA was going to do. I think UCLA went into Seattle and they ran the offense that Washington wishes they could. They have a feature back that they could give the ball to 21 times. He had 131 yards, averaged 6.2 a carry. They have a quarterback who was able to dink and dunk to 183 yards passing and two touchdowns, but also had that other element of his game that allowed him to rush for 87 yards and a touchdown. They do not have a feature-wide receiver, but they were able to spread the ball around, and their tight end, Greg Dulcich, got in the end zone. Like UCLA went to Washington and showed Washington what they should have been, and that's that's got to be even more uh, frustrating. <laughs> and at the end of the day, Washington having 267 total yards against UCLA when ASU had like 250 yards rushing against this team, that's just unacceptable. It's but kudos to uh, kudos to UCLA for for tuning things up defensively, um, and also for not turning the ball over or taking one sack. And and at the end of the day, they still only won by seven. So I don't know if that that means we should be extra concerned about um, whether or not UCLA is going to continue to rebound and and get better. And this was more of just a Washington is terrible on one side of the ball issue, um, or if. You know, that's just the, the way the ball bounces in the Pac-12. But uh, the one thing UCLA really, really struggled with in this game is they were 3-for-12 on third down. Meanwhile, Washington was able to repeatedly extend the clock because they were 9-of-14. Yep. Yep. The, the, this was a game that was pivotal for both teams. I thought that this was the most important game of their season. UCLA would have fallen to four and three and to complete irrelevance in terms of this this season. Now they're one win away from Chip Kelly's first bowl game and Washington fell to two and four instead of going to three and three, which would have meant that they would have been in bowl contention. But now they got to win four out of their last six games just to even get to a bowl game, dude. Four out of their last six games just to get to a bowl game. When and people like me picked them to win the North. <laughs> dude, you picked them to go didn't did you you picked them to go undefeated, did didn't you? No. Uh I had them losing twice both in conference, I believe. Oh, okay. And I even had them losing that losing I think Oregon was one of the games. Yeah, but I so, did. I I thought the rest of the schedule was really really friendly to them and the type of offense they thought they were going to play. So with games left against Arizona, Stanford, Oregon, ASU, Colorado, and Washington State, can they win four of those games? No, no. That it's looking like three and three. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Especially because they're not. It, it's not like they're trending up. Yep. And the final game, Arizona State at Utah. This looked like a one-sided affair going into halftime. It was 21-7. to Utah was up. The Pac-12 South, Arizona State was in great position to make sure that the Pac-12 championship against Oregon was going to be two top 10 teams playing against each other, or at least a top 12 and a top 5, 6 team playing against each other in the Pac-12 championship. Winner gets to go to the playoff, and they blew it. They absolutely blew it. So you followed this team very closely. I looked at the game, and the best player in the game was Cameron Rising. He was outstanding, dude. He was outstanding. 
And Jaden Daniels was able to, in the first half, do a lot of running around, extend plays, all of that. And then in the second half, I don't, I mean, and Arizona State had been so good in the second half, particularly on defense, but Utah made better adjustments. Yeah, I don't know what Arizona State was doing in this game, to be honest. Their running backs had 20 carries, 20 carries total. That's far too few. 20 carries for 118 yards, George. They were having a lot of success on the ground with their three running backs. They should have played Daniel Nada more. Um, but, like, they they couldn't. They they kept putting themselves in positions with penalties and stuff where it didn't make sense to run on first down. And then everything fell apart. The the And the overall, just the way the team looked was probably the most telling thing because – when this game was 21-21, it felt like it was 75-21 Utah. Yes. Like the, the whole demeanor of the ASU sideline changed. I've never seen Antonio Pierce look anything other than like stoic and defiant. They kept putting the camera on him. He looked like whiny and frustrated. Like he couldn't get through to people and stuff like that. It was very, very confusing. Um that they they'd fall apart like that. The one thing that they struggled with this year so far was crowd noise and penalties. And lo and behold, thirteen penalties for over a hundred yards. And, oh, and, and, don't you remember when you pointed that out during the BYU game and you were like, George, they'll they'll never have this many penalties again. Well, they technically had two less. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 same concept though, right? Yeah, and and then think about how dejecting it is for combined third and fourth down efficiency on Utah's end. They went eight for 12. Like, every time you feel like you had them stopped, they had something up their sleeves. And like you said, a big part of that was Cam Rising was electric. He really was. You You really have to respect his performance. I know he turned the ball over a couple of times, but I don't care. The way he was running the ball, knowing that this is a guy that's, like, blown out both knees, he did not look like somebody who's who who's playing it safe or anything like that. He was he was a leader. He was fired up. You could see why his teammates like him. And another thing that 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 uh, kind of stands out to me is this: is the second game in a row where Utah's gone on a twenty-eight nothing run. They did the same thing against USC in what was a close game, and then all of a sudden they just gave that Tekken forty hit combo. <laughs> oh yeah. Bro, abs- absolutely. Um, all right. So, yeah, th- this was – well, I, I want to talk super quickly before we get into the, the power rankings about what Arizona State fans are feeling. Because I was looking at the message boards. It is a toxic place there now, considering that they were 5-1 and one going into the game. And – yeah, this felt unexpected. I didn't know that there was this much toxicity. They're like, well, just uh, fire, fire Herm, Herm now. Let's look for our new head coach, blah, blah, blah. I mean, even though that we know that that's coming after the season, but it seemed like a give up moment. Yeah, because they could tolerate. They, they know that this is like the a suicide mission, right? But like... <laughs> 
is it worth the suicide mission if the mission's not accomplished and you still die? So, so they, you know, they understand the good that Herm Edwards has done for this um, for this team, but at the same time, if they know they're going to have sanctions, they know the staff's going to get cleaned out, and they know that they're struggling with discipline issues on the field, which was Todd Graham's forte. And when you compare the first 37 games of Todd Graham's tenure to the first 37 games of Herm Edwards, the results are clearly more in favor of Todd Graham. So when faced with all this evidence, and I know we kind of live in an era when it doesn't matter the amount of evidence that you pile up to support one side of an argument, that if people are convinced of something, they'll just stay convinced. Not in this case. Not in this case. There's, we're getting to the point where there's so much evidence that this team isn't necessarily always as well prepared or as well as, as disciplined as they need to be that they're sacrificing relationships within the state of Arizona. They got the NCAA breathing down their back. There's just a million different things that kind of show that, that ASU is in deep trouble and the fans are responding to that. Yeah. Now, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and on the recruiting front though, on, on a side note, before we get into the power pack 12 power rankings, I don't know if you guys saw, but Eli Manning, I know that this is completely off topic, but this is a recruiting. We, cause we, we talk a lot of recruiting on, on here as well. And this is some, it just matters more Lane Kiffin goofy stuff, but I'm not mad at it. So they are retiring Eli Manning's number, putting him in the ring of fame and all of this stuff, putting him in the hall of fame at Ole Miss. It just so happens to be Ark Manning is visiting that weekend too. And they painted Manning in the end zones, Ralph. Okay. So, so we're, like, were we saying that the Pac-12 the Pac doesn't go far enough in recruiting? Boom. Yes. Yes. You got to go to the edge, bro. Yeah, I mean, well, actually, I would actually hate if Oregon did that only because, only because it feels a little goofy and kind of, but if, if you're Lane Kiffin, like, like if, I think if, that Arizona State should do stuff like that. I don't think Oregon that USC it, should. But if Oregon did it for JT Tuomalau and he went to Oregon instead of Ohio State, what would you think? I would I wouldn't want them to have to do it again. Yeah. Like that, but that's the problem with this. If you do this once, you have to do it again because you've set the bar so damn high. And it has to be like a legacy person. And I know that they're gonna be like, yo, this is for Eli Manning, duh. I mean, but Nick Saban would never do that. And yeah, so I, I agree that you got to do what you got to do to get re recruits, but they're not going to get them anyway. I don't think. Didn't, didn't Nick anyway. Saban just go on the Manning cast and say he would love to coach a Manning someday? Yes, he did. He did. I don't know. Maybe the, maybe, maybe it's just things are, are, are getting goofier out that way and more fun and, I don't know. I, I just know that there's a lot of guys that leave California, a lot of guys that leave Arizona, a lot of guys that leave Oregon and Washington to go to teams that are outside of the Pac-12 conference. And, you know, I remember thinking back to when ASU was in a battle over uh, Christian Kirk with Texas A&M, and Christian Kirk was playing in 
the state championship in Sun Devil Stadium, and nobody from ASU, as far as like fans or student section or anything like that, came to the game. Imagine what it would have meant to Christian Kirk to have ASU stands filled with ASU fans all cheering for him. But there's just not that much of a culture of, like you said, I mean, it just doesn't matter as much. People aren't as invested. They're not as educated. They don't understand what they mean to the process. Yep. Absolutely. Um, now, on to the Pac-12 power rankings, because uh, this is an absolute zoo. And we'll give our 7 to 12 each, and then we will move on, and then we will go 6 to 1. So, Ralph, what is your 12 to 7 for this week? All right. And, yeah, I, so I'm, I'm going to give you my my 12, but I also just, as a reminder, in case you started listening in the middle of the podcast, which this isn't a radio show, so I don't know why you would do that. If you are incredibly frustrated with the sound from my end in this podcast, I'm at the Denver International Airport. All they're doing is just reading announcements. I found the quietest place in the whole place. So if if you're getting more educated on flights out of Denver than you are on the Pac-12, uh, I, I definitely apologize, but with Nick Rolovich being fired, we wanted to make sure that we got this podcast out to you guys. Totally understand if it's annoying. Uh, blame George. All right, so uh, my 12 through 7 this week, Arizona, Colorado, nothing changed there. It doesn't matter what Colorado did to Arizona. Then I got Cal and Washington uh, at 10 and 9, USC at 8, and Stanford at 7, and that still feels too high. <laughs> All right, I have Arizona at 12, Colorado at 11. I don't care that Colorado won because they only beat Arizona, and that's that doesn't count. Um, Cal is at 12. Washington is at 9. Um, U- USC at 8, and Stanford at 7. So we agree there. All right, and then what's your 6-1? to one? What's your six to one, Ralph? That's my bad, man. I was on mute, so you guys didn't have to hear all the announcements. Um, number six is Oregon State. And number five is Washington State. I feel like Oregon State should be higher, but they do have that loss to Washington State. So got to factor that in. UCLA is at number four. Um, I only dropped Arizona State one. Um, this is the most depressing three ever and. Remember, Ray Anderson, when he hired Herm Edwards, he said he wanted ASU to be top three in the conference and top 15 in the country year over year. So they're finding a funny way to accomplish it, but they're still in that top three. Then I have Utah, and at number one, I have Oregon. Yep. Um, I have Washington State at six, Oregon State at five, ASU at four, Utah at three, because they're hot as fish grease. And they beat – how did you – never mind – you didn't. I apologize. Uh, I UCLA. Say, you, you can't yell at me when you just put Oregon State above Washington State, who is on a three-game win streak that includes beating Oregon State. Their head coach situation. I don't. I don't know what to make of it. So, so there's that. Um, UCLA at two and Oregon at one. Um, it's funny. I was listening to some of the other Pac-12 podcasts. And at one point in time, they had UCLA as the best team in the conference. At one point in time, they had Arizona State as the best team in the conference. And some of these people cover cover other teams. And I was like, 
specifically for their actual, you know, like writing and stuff. And I was like, ah, it's a little sketchy. I think your bias is showing. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. But um, now on to the week eight matchups. Well, that you certainly can't be talking about 12-pack radio because uh, those guys both went to University of Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they're as honest as you can possibly be about that situation. Dude, dude, I, dude, Arizona may be, all right, Ralph, I asked this question on Twitter, right? And you can tell me, and Arizona people hit me in the DMs. They were like, George, I'm mad at you for asking this, this question. I was like, well, you should be mad that this is even a question. <laughs> so Ralph, who is the worst football team in America? Is it Vanderbilt? Is it Kansas? Is it UConn? Or is it Arizona? It's UConn. It's UConn, but but that's not an unfair question, and that's what's sad. 
Yeah, I was like, I was like, how can you be mad at me for asking this question? It's totally reasonable. Totally reasonable. <laughs> I think that I think Arizona would beat UConn and UMass and New Mexico State, maybe. Are you sure though? No. No? Did I sound sure? No, because New Mexico State has actually won a game. They beat South Carolina State, which is I know is not a Division One team, but still they they did win. And you had Arizona lose to Northern Arizona, and you've had UMass won a game too. They beat UConn. So okay. So I don't know if Arizona could could beat UMass. Should we do like a college football toilet playoff with UMass, UConn? Uh, Arizona and Kansas, bro. How about that? Arizona and Kansas being, being at the bottom of that, but usually at the top of basketball. That's too funny. I guess you could throw UConn in there too. Is yeah. good basketball bad for football? Wait, is what? Is a good basketball program bad for football? Uh, no. I mean. UCLA is doing good in basketball. <laughs> they they came in the season ranked number two this year. Oregon is ranked in the top fifteen in the uh, AP poll too. So yeah, mm. yeah. But like, look at Gonzaga. They're number one going into the season, and they haven't won a football game in forever because they don't have a football team. Well, that's true. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so on to the games this week, and the first game this week is on another Friday night. So this is a quick turnaround for Washington and Arizona. Um, Washington is favored by 17 and a half points at Arizona. So they got to go to the desert, Ralph. Who do you have in this game? Oh, oh, and the over-under is 45 and a half. I'm taking the under. <laughs> I'll take the under in every Arizona game ever. Um, but I'm actually going to take Arizona against the spread. I think the quick turnaround and the fact that Washington only scored 17 last week at home means that they would have to score more than that in order to cover. <laughs> so, so I think that uh, I think we might have like a 24 to seven game, and that uh, that is advantage Arizona in a 17 and a half point spread. Did you see what? I mean, like. Did you miss what Colorado did to Arizona? No, but Arizona scored two of those touchdowns. And you don't think, and Washington's defense is better than Colorado's. Is it? Oh, God. Well, listen, give me Washington and the, I, they will they will cover this 17 and a half points, bro. It's not even a question, but I do take the under. This game will probably be like 34 to three or 34 to six. Oh, God. <laughs> That's terrible. I can't wait. Yeah, dude, I, I cannot believe you picked this. Um, the next game up, the biggest game in the Pac-12 this entire season. So far, Oregon at UCLA at the Rose Bowl. I'll be in attendance. Oregon started out this game as a three and a half point favorite, and now they are a two point dog. And the over under in this game is 40. I mean, sorry, it's 59. So uh, 
who do you have in this one? So that's got to mean like all the money on earth is on UCLA. That's that's wild. I don't see much of a reason for, for that to be the case. Um, and also considering UCLA's played better on the road than they have at home. Their two losses came at home. Um, I'm going to take Oregon. I hope this is a good game. I'm really excited about it. Um, you have to give UCLA the advantage at running back and quarterback. They're probably a wash on the O-line, but defensively, Oregon's a much better team. And, uh, yeah, so what'll be interesting is I think if Oregon wins this game, it might put UCLA in a position to to have almost zero chance to meet them in the Pac-12 championship. Yep. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, dude. They, th- this would be a, in the standings, just so everybody is clear and understands what's happening in the Pac-12 standings. Right now, in the South, Utah is 3-0. and Arizona State is 3-1, and and they hold a tiebreaker over UCLA, who's uh, second, but they're really third because Arizona State holds the tiebreaker. USC is at two and three in the conference. So they are completely toast, dude. They are toast in the conference. Um, Colorado is one and three. Never mind. I'm not even even going to mention Colorado and Arizona because that's absolutely pointless. But um, you have, yeah, so. UCL USC is technically still alive, but not though. Um, UCLA still has life, even if they lose, because they would need because Arizona State still has Washington State, USC, Washington, Oregon State, and we're not even going to count the Arizona game. Oh my God, dude! If they got beat seventy-seven to seven last year, how bad are they going to get beat this year? <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Um. All right. Especially if it ends up being the last hurrah for Herm and all them. Yeah. I mean, then they might go pedal the metal. Yeah. But and, hey, and, so check this out: Oregon can lose and and be in a good position still. Like yeah. Oregon could lose because then all they'd have to do is win out, and including beating Oregon State, and they'd still win the Pac-12 North. Correct. So the, the 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 risk is almost all on UCLA's end right now. Yes, yes, um, absolutely. Um, okay, so I am a believer that this is a Styles make fights game. Is that Oregon, who's had trouble pushing the ball down the field and all of that, they're going to have to throw the football. Because this is a terrible pass defense, third worst in the nation. And yes, running the ball is very important. And UCLA hasn't done great against the run either. So if if I am, I mean, like, man, I'm picking Oregon in this game. They have the top scoring offense in the, they have the top scoring offense in the country. They have, um, well, not not on the country, in the Pac-12, I apologize. <laughs> they are, in terms of total defense, let me pull up their total. Uh, UCLA has the best rushing defense in the conference 
right now. And while Oregon is one of the best rushing offenses in the conference, so this is going to be a very interesting matchup. So, yeah, if they can pass the ball well, then they'll be okay. I like Oregon um, to win this game, and it's mainly just because the Rose Bowl has meant absolutely nothing to UCLA so far this year, and um, I really like uh, the the Noah Sewell against um, Zach Charbonnet matchup is maybe the the matchup I've been looking forward to the most uh, all year because if 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 Oregon can hold Charbonnet under a hundred yards, I think this is a seven to ten point win. So I'm on Oregon. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, the next in. Are you taking the over or under in this game? It's 59. I'm taking the over. I will take the under. Uh, so I've had a lot more success with unders than anything else this year. All right. USC at Notre Dame. Notre Dame's favored by seven points, and the over-under is 58 and a half. Give me Notre Dame. Even though I want USC to win because I'm a back-to-pack guy, I just don't want to set myself up for the letdown that is potentially coming, but they may get Jackson Dart starting, though. I like uh, USC in this game to cover. I don't know about when, um, but you saw what happened with Notre Dame and Florida State. Uh, a couple of good athletes can make all the difference, um, especially on the on the outside. And so, you know, this is going to be Drake Jackson's opportunity to, to be more than just a stat stuffer for people who follow the Pac-12, uh, but to do it on a, on a national level and probably for the last time in, in, a, in, a, in a Trojan's uniform because, you know, if they make a bowl, it's going to be Sun Bowl or something like that. So this is going to be a huge game for, for Drake Jackson. I think he shows out. I don't think it matters who you have at quarterback. I think the athletes on the outside give Notre Dame fits and the quick passing game gives Notre Dame fits. But at the end of the day, I don't think this USC defense can stop anyone. So I got a high scoring game, but I do have USC covering the seven. Yeah. Yep. Totally agree with that. Um, I am. Well, actually, no, 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 no. I, I don't agree with them not covering, but, uh, but cause I have Notre Dame minus you, seven. You agree with USC not being able to stop anyone. Yes. Yes. I do agree with that. And the over, of 58 and a half. But the issue is that Notre Dame has had quarterback issues. They've been going back and forth. So I think that this could be a more hotly contested matchup. And it's not lost on me that USC could pull the upset. Man. Ah, I just don't trust them fully. Oh God. All right. Well, I I want to pick USC, but I can't. If you're having quarterback issues, the perfect team to go up against is USC. <laughs> Remember, everybody's talking about Chance Nolan being a star. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's this USC defense and the way that it's called. They still have talent, but this USC defense and the way that it's called is uh, lending itself to other people getting real healthy against them. So, you know, I, I don't know. I'm thinking, I'm thinking thirty-eight, thirty-five, Notre Dame. All right. All righty then. Um, the next game up, we have Colorado at Cal. Cal is favored by nine points. Over under is 43. 
That is the most disrespectful over under <laughs> of the year. Dude, that means that both offenses are putrid, that they think that, that this is going to be like a 20 to 21 game. Um, and I think that Cal scores, I, th- this game could be 30 to 13. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to take the under and I'm going to take Cal minus nine. I'm going to go with Colorado. Um, I'm going to go with Colorado. And then just because the, the uh, total is so disrespectful, not that I believe they'll hit it. In fact, I believe they will not. Um, but I can't, I can't let the Pac-12 be disrespected like this. <laughs> Low 40 over-unders in the middle of the season. So yeah. I'm, I'm taking the over out of principle. Yeah, dude, the, the, these are SEC 10 years ago lines, bro, um, uh, over-unders. All right, next game up. Dude, the Pac-12 has two 12-30 games, which are in, no, three 12-30 games and two 4-30 games. There are no late games this week. There is no Pac-12 after dark, FYI. Oh, my gosh, I'm actually going to wake up in time for church on Sunday. <laughs> so BYU and Washington State, this game is in the Palouse, uh, they are BYU's favorite by four points over under 55 and a half. Give me BYU and give me the over. Teams either fully buy in and rally and have a surge after some crazy stuff happens to them or they fall apart. And I am thinking that fall apart is probably the most likely answer. But- if they fall apart, won't more people just be like, oh, we never should have fired Nick Rolovich? Isn't that like the most messy thing for the conference would be if Washington State just got tore up? I mean, it's not just their head coach, though. It's their co-OC as well. And I think Rolovich calls plays. So uh, offensively, it could definitely be an issue. Um BYU is on a two-game losing streak. They've kind of had to play all over the place. Um, they're banged up. They're not deep. I never thought they were all that talented in the first place. They could win this game, but by four or more, I don't know about that. Um, I will take Washington State plus four. Mm, 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 mm. I, I don't feel super confident of about mine, but I guess I should because I'm better than you at these picks this year. I made a point. This year that I was going to come in, I was going to dominate you in these picks, and it's going well so far. You you have a six game lead on me in the in the picking against the spread, and then I have one game on you in the over unders. Which reminds me, I will take um, under fifty five and a half in that game. And I in that game will take the under of no no I'm taking the over of fifty five and a half. All right, last game up, Utah at Oregon State. Oregon State had an entire week off to fix Chance Nolan. And this and Utah's playing really good football, just came off a really good win over Arizona State. And this is going to be the difference between remember when uh when we had the Tyrone Whittingham interview here on the Pac-12 Apostles? And we were like, Kyle, why? Kyle Willingham? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Ky- I, did Kyle it again. I did it again. Tyrone. 
I did it again. One guy's a black guy. One guy's a white guy. One's in Utah. The other one was at Stanford or Washington. Good God. (laughs) Kyle Whittingham. When we had the Kyle Whittingham interview on, and guys, I'm not going to edit this out. You guys get an authentic podcast, so appreciate it. If you could just get the call Tyrone music in the background. (laughs) Um, You Okay, so when we had him on, like he was very bullish on on his team, and we were like, "Why? Why does he seem so bullish on this football team?" And if they go five and two, he had reason to. But if they lose this game, he was absolutely wrong. And what do you mean it, he had reason to? He was talking about a completely different quarterback. He started somebody else. Exactly. I don't know if he knew. Yeah, and then you find out that. Oh, and then Oregon State, if they go to five and two, boy, oh boy, that's going to be a whole nother can of can of worms. You know what I mean? And this could be the game that ends up propelling Jonathan Smith to be USC's new head coach. Or this is the game that kind of almost slams the door shut on the Pac-12 South. So, and if Oregon State wins this game, UCLA's got a shot at the Pac-12 South, a real shot then. So this is a game that has a lot of meaning. And if Oregon State loses this game, they're pretty much out of the Pac-12 North. Yeah, because uh, you'd have to have Oregon lose twice with one of those games being against Oregon State. The odds aren't great. Um, the North is just so rough this year that, that you know, Oregon, Oregon might have a disappointing year while being uh, 11 and one heading into the Pac-12 championship. And that's wild. I just know that Arizona state fans uh, become temporary Oregon state fans um, this weekend. And and then, you know, uh, with, with Utah, it's just like they they could pull away. They could have a commanding lead in the Pac-12 South and still have kind of a lot of questions about, you know, who, who they, who they are as a team, because yeah, Devin Lloyd is very good. Um, and they, the running back by committee thing is working and Cam Rising has had some flashes, but overall this team is running hot and cold during games. They're having huge lulls during games and then really heating up. What did you think of Kyle Whittingham getting on Twitter? <laughs> Cause he doesn't seem like a Twitter guy and just typing 28 unanswered and hitting send. I didn't he, see him do that. He did. He did. A little bit of flavor from from and he was pumping his fist. He was way more emotional. Way and obviously it's plenty of reason to be as far as off the field stuff that's going on. But he was very emotional in that win over over Arizona State. Um I don't know, he's starting to see a lot of personality at him. Not that he was super stoic like Belichick or anything, but he I, I don't know if it's he's softening up or getting more excited or you know, life's just kind of taking its toll or whatever, or uh, or or what it is, but he he's got some fire to him. Yeah, yeah, no, no, he definitely does. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics. Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. 
Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. In this game, we have Utah is favored in this game by three points over under in this game of respectable 55 and a half to I got Utah minus three and the over, I'm sorry, and the under at 55 and a half. I will take Utah along with you, but I'll go with the over. I think this game might have a lot of points. Why? Uh, Just because Oregon State's offense has been really good. Utah hadn't necessarily stopped anyone. They've had lots of good possessions and they've been the more disciplined team. But ASU scored 21 and a half and, you know, USC blew some opportunities, but they still ended up, you know, with 25, 26 points or whatever. Uh, There's no reason to think that a team with a better offense that's better coached couldn't get to possibly 30. And maybe like a 35, 31 game. Yeah. Yeah. I I do think it's going to be closer and, I am leaning to more points being scored, but these teams aren't going to throw the ball a lot probably, so the game could be a little bit shorter. And if it starts out slow, then it's going to finish slow. So, Well, I do know one thing about Oregon State, and it's they have this in common with ASU. They can't defend the tight end, and Utah seems to have nothing but tight ends. So I do think, at the very least, I think Utah is going to get some. 
they might have a couple of touchdown passes early on um, and then be able to maybe put it in cruise control from there if they get up early. But I don't, I don't know if I see this Utah defense holding Oregon State down. Um, if they force them to a situation where they have to pass, then that could get real ugly. But if, if Oregon State's allowed to be balanced, you might see a lot of points. Yeah, I, I am a guy who looks at like at the entire season and how, you know, teams are playing and all of that. And then understanding how the coaches look, how the players kind of view their, their season, because I've been in all of it. I've been on really good teams that should have been in the national championship game. And then I've also been to a team that lost to Seattle Bowl. I've never been on a non-bowl bowl team, so I don't understand what, what what that life is like. But I do understand what having a disappointing season is because it did happen once at once while I was at Oregon. And when I look at these teams in the Pac-12, it is imperative that we find some greatness in the conference. Like you need one team to emerge as what Clemson had been prior to this year to the ACC or what Florida State had been prior to that. You have to be that. Like for the conference to take the next step, you need an elite team. And if it's Oregon this year, if they can finish 12 and one, I would have rooted for that. But if but if Oregon was going to lose to, but if they were going to lose to like, like if they were going to lose again and had Arizona State won out and been twelve and one and got a chance to go to the to the uh, playoff, whereas Oregon would have just gone to the Rose Bowl and then still gone to the Rose Bowl with a loss in the Pac twelve championship, I would have been okay with that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. But you're forgetting that the Pac twelve does have an elite team, an undefeated elite team. Who is that? San Diego State. <laughs> oh, man. If you don't get out of here, dude, Oregon would blow the doors off of them. Are you sure? Yes, I'm positive. Oregon couldn't. Who has Oregon blown the doors off this year? Listen, don't nobody asked you for your common sense. You nobody don't want. Hey, I'm, I'm telling you this as I'm telling you this as a college football fan. You don't want anything to do with Greg Bell or San Diego State, especially on their home field. None of us do. Well, of course. Who would schedule only only creepazoids schedule them at, <laughs> at at home, Utah? Way to go, buddy. That's a losing. That's that's like playing a game at Boise State, like Oregon did in Chip's first, like first or second year. That's that's pure lunacy, dude. Pure lunacy. I'm just saying, if San Diego State rolls through the Mountain West and they go undefeated and they go they go 13 and 0, I'm claiming them. I'm doing it. Judas. Okay, Judas. Good job, buddy. Hey, they were adding an apostle, not taking one away. I just, they, they, uh, you're right. No, you're absolutely right. The Pac-12 needs an elite team and they don't have one. And uh, it is, (laughs) it's very frustrating. All right. Um, Final thing for today, though. Are we looking at, oh, the, uh, the uh, USC coaching hot board. As far as the uh, Survivor Series, has there been anybody who's been knocked off of the Survivor Series? 
I want to. I'm leaning toward knocking off Billy Napier. Why? LSU open. And and, but that's just me thinking that he'd be a good fit. Yeah, no, um, no. He definitely would. Um, the Somebody that, okay, we have already knocked off Urban Meyer, Tony we, Elliott, Clemson's OC. Yeah. We've, we've knocked off uh, PJ Fleck. We have knocked off Eric Bieniemy. We've knocked off Mario Cristobal. We've knocked off Dante Williams, which leaves us with James Franklin, Joe Brady, Lane Kiffin, Luke Fickle. Or or, or or are we knocking Lane Kiffin off too? I think Lane Kiffin would be more likely to stay at Ole Miss or go to LSU. I, you have to think, he's like on his third or fourth SEC job now. He's not a California boy anymore. Yeah. Okay. Then – Okay, so we'll knock Lane Kiffin off. So then that leaves us with Luke Fickle, Joe Brady, James Franklin. Um, Jonathan Smith still. Jonathan Smith. Matt Campbell, Bob Stoops. Yep, and that's – oh, and Bill O'Brien. Uh, yeah, and clubhouse leaderboard for me is still Jonathan Smith. Um, I think if they could get James Franklin, they would. But it just—I I talked about it with another friend who's a lifelong Penn State fan. It just doesn't make sense to leave back to back to back to back top six recruiting classes behind. Not to not to do something that would essentially be a full rebuild, but to leave your—he got teenage girls. He's he's from Pennsylvania. Um, it's different for Luke Fickle. Luke Fickle's doing it with top 50 classes. Like, he would actually get better resources. James Franklin won't. Yeah. Yep. That's reasonable. All right. And the final thing is, Ralph, how does the Pac-12 finish up for this season? Who is in the conference game, in the conference championship game? Um, I... I'm trying not to be super reactive, so you might you might ask me two days from now and I'll have a different opinion, but I'm going to stay the course on ASU and Oregon. Um, I know it's going to take some losing on Utah's part, um, but again, if Utah goes out to Oregon State and they put on a dominant performance, I'll probably have to change my mind. I just don't want to be super reactive in the moment. Um yeah, so but as far as other hot boards, since we got Washington State open now, let me officially start being the lobbyist for Jay Norvell to the Palouse. I think that that is the best possible option. Yeah, I am going to go with I'm going to go with Utah and Oregon in the conference game. I thought it was going to be UCLA. Actually, no, I picked UCLA prior to the season and they still got a shot. So I'm going to stay with them, even though I believe that they're going to lose to Oregon this weekend. I still got UCLA making the Pac-12 championship game. And actually, USC is going to be the one who throws a monkey wrench in some of these teams uh, uh, schedule. Like when when Arizona State plays USC in a couple weeks. Um, that is going to be a game that we're all going to have to watch because, uh, and that's on November 6th. So that's in three weeks. Huh. All right. All right. You guys, that's the Pac-12 Apostles for this week. 
I'm George Reister. He's Ralph Hampton. Peace out. Catch you later. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.